Hey guys, welcome to River City 93. This is your host, Elliot Barr. Unfortunately with me, there's no Shanair today. I know, it kind of sucks. I like Shanair a lot. But we have a very special episode for you guys. Over here at River City 93, we're starting a new series. It's called DocuPod, where we're going to be highlighting the history of important moments, players, and coaches of the Richmond Kickers. In today's episode, episode one, we're going to have an interview with Rachel Violet and Helen Violet. They are the daughter and wife of Dennis Violet, who is a famous head coach to led the Richmond Kickers to our first ever U.S. Open Cup win in the 95 season. So, all they actually do is to sit back, enjoy, like, listen, and share. And now, joining me on the phone, I have Miss Rachel Violet and Helen Violet. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, thank you. That's great to hear. Glad to be here. Oh, wow, thank you guys so much for coming on. So, um, we over here at River City 93 are diving into the history of the Richmond City Kickers, and we came across your very famous husband and father, Dennis Violet, who led the club to the U.S. Open Cup win uh, in 1995. So, I just have a couple of questions just to ask you guys so we can get to know more about him and the kind of legend that he was and the man that he was. Okay, oh, so one of the first questions that we wanted to ask was, what led your father to being the head coach of the Richmond Kickers? Because he started off in Jacksonville with the Jacksonville team in and kind of the University of Jacksonville. So what led him up here to Richmond? Can I answer that, Rachel? Because I happen to know. Yeah, that's all you. Okay, I'll tell you exactly why he became the head coach of the Richmond Kickers, Elliot. And that's because one Bobby Lennon, who you probably know was the manager, uh, nagged and nagged and nagged. He was like a dog with a bone. He would not let Dennis say no. And at the time, I'll be honest with you, uh, it was a little bit of a disruption because Dennis was coaching Jacksonville University and it was all very comfortable and, you know, they'd had quite a lot of success. And we're all settled in our condominium in Jacksonville, but Bobby Lennon would not let up. And eventually, Dad gave in. I think he made a a good offer financially. And that was the very reason why uh, Dennis Violet went to the Richmond Kickers. Wow. Is that that interesting, Elliot? Yes, that is very interesting to hear. Because I was always, you know, when I was doing my research about Mr. Violet and learning more about him, he, he seemed to stay pretty much in Florida, and it just seemed kind of weird for him to move up to Richmond. So knowing that um, Bobby kind of, you know, was like, hey, here's a big offer to go coach this team in Richmond that's rarely new is kind of interesting. Well, I also think the fact that there were a lot of American kids on the team appealed to Dennis because he'd worked so hard and much with them in his own soccer camps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, I think Jack Corsi was the goalkeeper and he was a very fine keeper. And I think I think it rather appealed to him to get back into the professional game as well. Uh, yeah, I was going to add to that exactly what you just said, Mom. I think with the MLS, like, on the horizon, uh, I think it was a chance for him to sort of get back into the pro game. Um and, you know, possibly, uh, I think he saw a future in the MLS, um, which unfortunately did not happen because he got sick. But I do think that was also part of it. I think he was sort of ready to get back in the, in the pro game. Yeah. 
Yes, he was. So, can you talk a little bit about, and if you know, this would be great, but can you talk a little bit about that U.S. Open Cup run? U.S. Open Cup run for him, and how was it, you know, being around the team and leading the team to the run and eventually winning the trophy? Well, he was in U.S. Yeah. I think that year they actually won the double, didn't they? Yes, they, they the did. And the, and the Cup. Unfortunately, um, because of the circumstances, and Dennis actually going to Richmond, it was quite a rushed decision, and I had a good job, and um, I did not want to go up, you know, uproot everything and, and uh, just had a dog and three cats and it just wasn't very convenient for me to go up there at that time <laughs> and Dennis used to come home most weekends anyway you know whenever he got the opportunity not uh, you know he would come back uh, but I do remember that they kept winning and winning and winning and winning and in fact um, I think it was I was in England and I think the season finished in August because I was over there for my mother's 80th birthday and I didn't know the result at the time because, of course, you don't get the social media that you have nowadays. And I thought, I couldn't wait to find out, so I called him. And it would have been very early in the morning in Richmond. And it was very obvious, Elliot, that he'd been out celebrating the night before <laughs> because I kind of got this, oh, what, what, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I said, well, did you win? Did you win? And he said, oh, yeah, we won. So that was, <laughs> I, I, I always amused me. But when it came to watching the final of the Cup, um, I actually arranged for all the players that were on his Jacksonville University team to come over and watch that with me. And we had a pizza and a few beers, and we all thoroughly enjoyed that victory. They were as, as thrilled as I was that uh, Coach had won the double. Oh, man. And Dad, and Dad was really, and I remember him being, so proud. It's like, yeah, Rach, we won the double. And I, I was playing tennis at the time and traveling a lot, so I wasn't actually aware of the significance and, and what was going on. In fact, I for the very first time, I actually just watched the U.S. Open Cup game. I found it on YouTube, uh, and I watched it for the first time about three weeks ago. So that was kind of a treat. And they were good. They were really, really good. Some really good talent. But he was so happy that he's like, yeah, we won the double. He was there. He was Really proud of it. He really was. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that's that sounds amazing. So, I mean, of course, seeing the uh, Amazon Prime documentary, Rachel, that you uh, directed, which by the way is a great documentary, I recommend everyone go watch. Even if you're not a United fan, like uh, Miss Violet is not; she's a City fan. Um, I recommend everyone go watch it. Um, can you just talk about how unique your father was as a head coach? Yeah, and his players really loved it. They thought the world of yeah. him. Yeah. Um, 
question about it. And they loved his sense of humour. Um, I remember when he was at JU, um, the players that didn't turn up for training or were lazy in training, they got to be what was called Gunga Din. And Gunga Din was the water carrier in Rudyard Kipling's book. And that means they had to walk the... Uh, Oh well, say it's a good quarter of a mile up to get the water in these two heavy containers and bring them back again. And it was always a case of, so you're going to dim today, you know, which, and it, so he yeah. had a great sense of humour, didn't he, Rachel? And the players always appreciated, always had a laugh with the Elliot. Well, I he, think that was very did. important. He did, and, and going back to that sort of um, the disciplinarian part and, and the sort of uh, the softer side or the human side, you know, he. I remember, I can't remember, I think it might have been Bobby Clayman, I'm not 100% sure, so I, I don't want to kind of get him in trouble right now, but um, he was, I think he was, he was, for some reason, Dad had him going out to the track very, very early in the morning um, for a whole week, for an entire week, he had to show up, I think it was like at 5 in the morning and do some running. So he was obviously being punished for something, and I'm not exactly sure what, but on the very last day, Dad didn't show up, but when Bobby showed up, there was a six-pack of beer waiting for him. So that was, you know, kind of cool how he was able to uh, to manage the players like that. And I think they they kind of respected him as well for that. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're watching the film and talking to um, – Rob Ucrop, one of he's now one of the principal owners of the Richmond Kickers. You kind of, I got the sense that he was very much like a head coach that looked at his players not as only as players, but looked at them as family and treated them as his own sons. Yeah, yeah. I was very fond of his players. He really did. Yeah. yeah. He used to say he's a great kid, you know. Or yeah. occasionally it would be, oh, he's a pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel. Yeah, he did. He did. Oh, my fault. If you were going to say something, going to finish saying what you were going to say, I'm sorry. No, I just, I, I, uh, I will, yeah, 100% agree with what you just said. Um, I think there, there was a warmth um, that my dad sort of generated, you know, within the team. But like I said, there was a, there was a respect there because he was a disciplinarian when he had to be. I mean, he was tough and he ran a tight ship, but there was this, um, this warmth, this sort of feeling of, of family. Um, about his teams, no doubt about it. And I have to say, Elliot, that uh, that really extended to the fans as well. Um, I remember one incident, uh, it was at the end of a match, and Dennis always, always wrote his name in full, it was never scribbled, it was always totally legible, and he would wait for the very last person to go, and then he would leave. And it's normally, you know, young American kids. So that was, the Richmond Kickers was made up of, of, of families, I would say, the, generally the, the fan base. But I was standing watching Dennis sign, and there was this elderly guy, and he was clutching this very old-fashioned-looking autograph book. And on the front of it, he had Newcastle United, so it was a Newcastle United uh, autograph book, and he gave it to Dennis. And Dennis looked at it and said, Oh, Newcastle United. He said, that, do you know something? He said, that was where I scored my very first goal was against Newcastle United. And the guy said to him, I know, I was there. And I thought that was oh, so God. sweet. And then after he finished signing, I said, wasn't that guy lovely, Dennis? He said, yes, where is he? I'd like to talk to him. But of course he's gone. 
but that was the sort of person he was. He had he had time for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. He seemed like such a lovely so. So Rachel, um, can you describe your time making the film? Like, what was your inspiration to wanting to make this film about your father? Because I'm not gonna lie, like it wasn't until I started doing my research about it that I found out that your father was, you know, the all-time. I think he holds the record for most goals scored in a uh, single season for United, and he's fifth on the all-time scoring list. You know what? What was your inspiration going behind making this film, and what were some of the difficulties and highlights of the film? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, he holds the the record for most uh, league goals in a single season, thirty-two, and. What's interesting is he was he was injured the last six games of that season. So who knows how many he might have scored if he stayed healthy. But um, yeah, I, I I think obviously my dad himself was a, a big inspiration for doing the film. Uh, I felt like it was time to make the film, and I was myself emotionally ready to make the film uh, because it, as you can imagine losing your father uh, is you know heartbreaking and so I had to be in the right sort of emotional space to do it um, so it was for me to interview players that he had played against um, that he played with friends of his to go over to England and do that was so incredibly eye-opening for me and it made me um, it made me feel closer to my father uh, in a lot of ways, and it was it was just fascinating hearing hearing parts of about parts of his life that I, I didn't actually get to experience because of course I was born uh, ten years after he left Manchester United, so I never got to see him play uh, for United or or for Stoke City for that matter. Um, so it it really was an incredible experience for me. Um, on so many levels, professionally, personally, and um, I wish I could do it all over again as well. Uh, maybe there'll maybe there'll be a sequel. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it it was it was amazing. It really was. Um, I think somebody put it in a nutshell, Rachel, when they said to you after they'd watched the movie, it was like a love letter to your father, and I think that's that just about sums it up, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I, I remember we did a screening, uh, we did a lot of screenings. Uh, one was in Palm Springs, and I was doing a Q&A after, and someone uh, stood up and said, you know, that was like a love letter, yeah, to your dad. And I thought, wow, I thought that is just, the fact that it came across that way to the audience um, means that I, you know, th that what I was feeling came through uh, in, the, in the film. So uh, that made me proud as well. And I think my dad would have been proud of the filming. That was something I was always conscious of, uh, that he would be proud of it. Because I had to tell his story. I had to narrate it. He wasn't around, unfortunately. So, and my mom as well. Um, and I, I think he would have been proud of it. Do you agree, Mom? I do. I think he would have been very, very proud. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, like, can I just oh. a story, Elliot, about, um, which is totally away from football. Uh, it was something that made an impression on me when I came to Richmond. Mm -hmm. We were driving by the river, and I looked up and I saw this incredible Tudor house, completely out of character, built on a hill. And I said to Dennis, my God, look at that. We have got to go and visit it. So, of course, we went along, and I was absolutely astonished to find out that this was Agecroft Hall, 
and it was removed and taken across the Atlantic, brick by brick, well, it was brick by brick at that particular time, and rebuilt. And the area that it came from originally was about two miles from where I was born. Oh, wow. So uh, that was quite an introduction to Richmond for me personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have any good memories of Richmond, Rachel? I don't know. I, you know, I, I was living in Miami at the time because I was training. I was on the, the professional tennis tour. Uh, so I was actually living in Florida. But I did come up. And I played a tournament near Richmond while my dad was coaching. It was his first year. And I actually went to a game. Uh, I can't remember who they played, but it was, uh, there was a lot of people there. And I stayed with my dad in his little apartment. Um, he was living by himself. And I, I remember just feeling so bad that he, he had to live by himself. But then my mom ended up coming up, coming up the second year. But um, I just remember it was a really, I was really uh, surprised. It was such a high level of soccer. Um, and just the crowd were just so into it. And uh it felt like a team that had been there for a while, even though they hadn't. I think it was, they were only in their second year at the time. So I was I was really impressed. And the city itself is just beautiful. Um, and the people were, were super nice, yeah. <laughs> so in the film, you know, of course we talk about your dad's years at Manchester United. And he was unfortunately a part of the Butic Air disaster. Um how was his relationship like with Sir Matt Busby, and like how did that kind of mold him into being a coach and his relationships in and outside of soccer? Right. Well, Mom, you can also uh, chime in on this as well. But I, I think, um, well, I will say he loved playing for Manchester United. Um, he grew up uh, very close to Manchester City's ground at the time, which was called Main Road. So as a very young boy, he was a Manchester City supporter. Uh, later on, uh, United, you know, their their uh, stadium got bombed out. So they actually played a lot of their games after World War II at Manchester City Stadium. So my dad actually became quite fond of United as well and told me that his, his boyhood idol was actually Stan Pearson, who was the inside forward for Manchester United. So I think when a lot of people expected him to go sign for Manchester City because he grew up right near, obviously, City's ground, um, and he was a, a top uh, a top prospect, youth prospect, but Manchester United ended up snapping him up. So um, he was very, very proud to play for them, and he... he enjoyed uh, the camaraderie. You have to understand, these were all young kids at the time that were signing for United, and they were they were very much like brothers. And I know that that was, and I think for, for all of the players, the ones that survived the crash, that was the most special time, I think, of their lives, um, playing with each other. And um, he respected Matt Busby a lot. He loved Jimmy Murphy, who was the assistant coach. Jimmy probably spent the most time with them because he developed them when they were youngsters, and then he would pass them on to Matt to, to go into the first team. Um, but, you know, Matt was also a – he was a tough cookie, and he could be ruthless like a lot of uh, top managers are, uh, which continues today. Uh, but, you know, the clubs had a lot more control over the players back then, and, you know, he was – Unfortunately, my dad was eventually sold to Stoke City. Um, I think it, it, it was very hurtful to my dad how it happened. Uh, he forgave Matt later on. 
because he had so many great times, you know, with United. And at the end of the day, he did respect Matt uh, immensely. And so many of those things that he learned as a player under Matt and under Jimmy, he, he passed on for sure to his teams. Ms. Ms. Anything Hall- else? <laughs> oh, sorry. okay. I just that was Helen was about to say something. Oh. I'm just listening. I'm just listening. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you always used to say, Matt Busby used to say to them, just go out and enjoy yourselves. That's what it's yeah. all about. That's why he started to play football in the first place. <clears throat> Don't forget about that. And yeah. uh, indeed they did. Uh, but the, uh, listening to Rachel talk about the transfer to Stoke City, that was very hurtful to him at the time, but that's the way players were treated. He just got a phone call one night, and it was Tony Waddington, who was the manager of Stoke City, and he said, you know, Dennis, how would you like to come and play for Stoke City? And Dennis said, does Matt know about this? And Tony said, oh, yes, it's all been arranged. So that was very hurtful to him after 13 years of service and uh, surviving a Munich air crash and having broken the club uh, scoring record. Uh, But he had five wonderful years at Stoke. He was very, very happy there. And one of the reasons he went uh, was the fact that they paid more money than Manchester United. But also it gave him the opportunity to play alongside one of his heroes, Stanley Matthews, who was probably the most famous footballer of his day in England. Uh, Well, certainly was. And uh, they they got promotion from the second division, which it was then, into the first division, which is now the equivalent of the Premier League. So he did have five wonderful years at Stoke City as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he loved Stoke. And, of course, Stoke City have a a street named after uh, Dennis Avenue, uh, which is right near the stadium. Yeah. And there's also a soccer complex here called the Dennis Violet Soccer Complex. Uh, that's in this area in Fleming Island, which is uh, just north of Jacksonville. Wow. I mean... Are you impressed? I, I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's someone that is um, a history major when I was in college, like learning all of these impressive, you know, stats and facts about your father, it's... It's amazing to hear, like, the amount of impact that he had on the game of soccer, both here right. and in England. Well, you know, also, I forgot to mention, uh, because we were talking about Munich a little bit, the air crash, uh, which I didn't really get into. But, you know, my dad did suffer very serious head injuries uh, after the crash. And, in fact, I, I believe he was told he might not play again. Uh, so they were they were quite severe. And, of course, you know, the emotional toll that it took losing um, half the team who were he was very close to. Uh, but the two seasons following the air crash, he ended up scoring, I believe it was like 53 goals in the two seasons after. Uh, the second season was when he, he set the, the league scoring record. And um, so you, you can imagine how much, you know, that – that must have meant to the club to still have that that sort of presence around at that time. And Bobby Charlton was just starting to come through as well. So he definitely played a big role after Munich in, in helping to sort of keep keep the club afloat because they were not they were a mid table team uh, after Munich. And obviously before Munich they were champions of England um, and the youngest team to do so. The average age of the team was twenty two at the time. That's why they were called the Busby Babes. Mm. Um, and they went into, you know, they were the first English team to, to go into Europe. And the first year, 
uh, that United played, my dad was actually top scorer in the entire competition. Um, I think he was scored, mm, don't quote me on this, I think it was 13 goals. 15 matches possibly or 14 or something like that but it was a lot so it was was impressive he used to talk about the great players like Puskas and Di Stefano uh, he loved the European uh, playing European football he absolutely adored it he really did it was quite a highlight for this boy from very very working class background to suddenly get the opportunity to fly to all these faraway places and play against all these different teams, you know, go to Madrid and Barcelona and Paris, Rome, uh, yeah. where he never would have got the opportunity had he not been a footballer. Hmm. Is there a game yeah. or moment that he always talked about or like, you know, this is my favorite goal of playing a European football? I, you know, it's funny you say that because I always remember him telling me that he, he didn't talk a lot about the pre-Munich days to me. He always says his best year in football was the year right after Munich. Don't you remember him saying that, Mom? It was the year. And he scored 21 goals that year. He broke it. He broke the record the following year. But he always says his best year was that year right after Munich, which I always found fascinating. He must have just been proud of what he contributed. He uh, paid him what he contributed the team, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. So but he didn't talk about himself a lot. He didn't no. have any no. not at all. No. <laughs> it was incredible. I remember it once saying to me, Oh footballer, what does that mean? I was thinking to write a great book now, that's really an accomplishment. Um, so he, he just had this gift and he made the most of it, but uh, he didn't think he was anything out of the ordinary because he'd excelled in a sport. They were all humble though, I think, from that era. Uh, yes, so, uh, the common traits, especially when I went over there and was interviewing uh, a lot of the guys that played in the the fifties and sixties. I mean, they're so humble. They played for the love of the game, and there wasn't all the money that there is now into it. And yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's a u- unique era. Uh, I mean, uh, one. I have like a couple of more questions. Are we good on time? Okay. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure. Um, I have an afternoon social, which is a very boring event that's coming up <laughs> our clubhouse. I can certainly give you another few minutes, Elliot. <laughs> wow, well, thank you so much. <laughs> um, so Mr. Violet came over to America. Of course, he played for the Baltimore Bays, and he coached several teams in America. What, what made him want to stay in America for soccer when it was pretty much at his infancy? You know, there wasn't a whole bunch of going around, the NFL was just booming, the baseball was going on. You know, what made him want to stay in America for soccer? Well, that, that's very simple, and I can answer that. We just loved America. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it was very, very different, don't forget, in those days to England. Nowadays, there's all the similarities. Uh, you know, there's all the same luxuries in both countries. But for me, to come over and to be able to take a proper shower instead of water that just dribbled out. I mean, things like a garbage disposal unit were just a miracle. We just loved everything about America. And uh, it took a while to settle back down again when we got back to England. It it wasn't that easy. It was a a bit of a rough period. They had all the minor strikes at the time in the late 60s, the early 70s. 
I remember when when Rachel was born, we only had we were allowed so many hours a day of electricity, and I would be feeding her by candlelight. Uh, so of course this wasn't the case in America. So when the opportunity uh, came, it was actually uh, Jim Carvelis, who was a well-known broadcaster of the Baltimore Bullets and the basketball, and he also got involved with the Bays and did the radio for them. And he just loved uh, the game. He really fell in love with it, and he was a bit of a salesman as well. And he called Dennis one night and said, you know what, I'm going to bring back the Baltimore Bays. How would you and Helen feel about coming back? And we jumped at the opportunity. And Rachel was only a year old at the time. Uh, but, of course, she grew up in America. And uh, it wasn't easy because, oh, I think checks started bouncing, paychecks started bouncing. It, oh, it was not a good time at all. But then a family called the Danzanskis, bought the team, they were a Washington, a Washington uh, law firm, and, trans- and they took the whole franchise from Baltimore to Washington, and it became the Washington Diplomats. And yeah, at that point, we were so embroiled in the development of footy over here that uh, we stayed up. Mm. Yeah. And that, that was a great period, say, from about the sort of mid-70s until the very early 80s it was the North American Soccer League yeah. uh, and that, that was a great period but also just don't forget that during the 50s uh, my dad traveled with Manchester United to the United States they did some touring over here and that was his first sort of experience with America and I know that he really really enjoyed it um, and he was fascinated with um, guys like Frank Sinatra and you know, movie stars like Humphrey Bogart, and um, so he he went. He already, I think, in the back of his mind, had an appreciation for America. And of course, so when he got the offer to come, I mean, he, you know, they jumped at it. Um, but I think also, mommy really enjoyed the simplicity of life, right, in Florida. Yes, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. yeah. and, and the, the warm weather. Um, but our favorite time was definitely New England of all, was, yeah. uh, when yeah. he was with the New England team and uh, that, was, that was a very special period, it really was, yeah. living in the little yeah. town of Mossborough mm-hmm. and working back again with Noel Campwell, who had been a teammate. And then again, they moved the whole franchise down to Jacksonville, Florida, and that was in 1981, Elliot, and <laughs> I think... The main reason that we stayed when that team eventually folded, uh, Dennis had started his soccer camp program, and he ran that for 10 years, and it was very, very successful. And it's yeah. a very easy life in Florida. As you, I mean, if you've visited at all, you'll know that. And Jacksonville is a very easy city to live in, so that's why we stayed. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we always love going back to England. I mean, you have to go back and get your, your Manchester fix from time to time. Even Rachel has to do that, don't you, Rach? Oh, yeah. Get, <laughs> get in a game at Old Trafford, absolutely. What is the last time you guys been back to Manchester? I was there. I was working on a movie there last year. Uh, so I was there probably about... Oh, 10 months ago, I think it was, 10 months yeah, ago. Yeah, and I was back uh, in July. Mm. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, there's a rumor that goes around the Richmond Kickers where it's pretty much said that Dennis Violet had a very big hand in choosing the colors of Richmond Kickers. The colors of the Richmond Kickers are red and white and a hint of black. 
the colors of Manchester United are red and black. So is there any truth to that? Because I've been dying to know this. If your dad I, kind of pretty you know much what? had a hand in it. I, 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 yeah, I, I think my guess, my guess on that is that the because Bobby is a big Manchester United fan. My guess is that it, it was Bobby, but I don't know for sure. So oh, okay. You should ask Bobby. You gotta ask Bobby. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's, it's okay. It's great. Um, so, the last question I have is, Rachel, this is for you. Uh, just out of curiosity, how was your time as a tennis player and playing at Wimbledon? Oh my goodness, uh, that was a, a great experience. It's it's kind of like um, there's so much history at Wimbledon. Uh, when you walk into the grounds, or you can really feel the history. Uh, center court feels like a cathedral, actually, um, but it, it it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I never played great on grass, unfortunately. Uh, I think because it, there was absolutely no grass courts in the United States, or at least in Florida where I was training. <laughs> I think there's a few up in, in New England somewhere. But um, So I never played my very best tennis on grass, but the experience of, of playing in Wimbledon, as you can imagine, uh, was, yeah, it's like a, a dream come true for sure. Wow. Well... Those are all the questions I have. Um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast and talking in great depth about your father and husband. When will it be broadcast, I didn't hear you? When will it be broadcast? Um, So we will be dropping the episode uh, actually tomorrow, uh, Monday morning. So I'll make sure to send you guys a link so you can listen to your lovely voices and everything like that. (laughs) Can you email us the link to get to listen to the station. Oh, yes, ma'am. Of course. I definitely will. <laughs> I definitely will. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Elliot, and good luck with the, with the show. No, yeah, thank absolutely. you guys so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Elliot, and thanks for including us. No, no problem. You yeah. guys enjoy the rest of your day, okay? <laughs>